Before we begin this week's show, I have a huge prayer request. Uh, if you all could please join my family and me in prayer for our dear brother, Ray Nadler. I've been mentioning Ray for the past several shows in our prayer request. Uh, Ray is Haven and my brother-in-law, he is married to Haven's sister, Stephanie. Um, Ray was diagnosed with lung cancer a few months back and his health has been up and down. Uh, he only has one lung that's working halfway decently. The other one is just consumed by cancer. Um, but that good lung fills up with fluid and he has to go to the hospital and have the fluid removed. And well, he was recently taken back to the hospital and to have fluid removed, at least that's what they thought. But while there, his heart rate became erratic and doctors decided to do an ablation. Uh, those of you who listen to the show are familiar with it because our uh, dear friend and brother, Mike S., just recently went through that and is recovering. So they did the ablation and um, Ray did well with the surgery. However, soon after, um, his health began to decline drastically. Um, he is currently in a medically induced coma and on a ventilator. So it has all of the signs and appearances that um, he's on his last few steps of the journey of this life. Uh, I firmly believe in miracles. I've witnessed them and I've experienced them myself. And I know that miracles can come through prayer. Um, Ray's family desperately needs him. His children and grandchildren need him. So let us all join together and pray for a miraculous recovery or some kind of miracle that at least give Ray a little bit more time, coherent time with his family and in this lifetime. Thank you. And I would like to dedicate today's show to Ray. to the Faith and More podcast. My name is Reverend Angel Wise, and I'll be your host. I am an ordained licensed minister, a spiritual guide, and life coach. I firmly believe that the divine works through people every day to help us. These angels and saints are so very humble, many of us don't know they exist or existed. Each week, we'll explore the lives of these amazing beings. We'll also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. This show is also non-denominational and inclusive, so it is a safe place for everyone, regardless of what you believe or don't believe. So be sure to follow and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. How are you all doing? I so hope and pray you all are well and blessed. Infinite thanks, blessings, and love for tuning in. If this is your first time visiting the show, welcome. We so hope and pray that you find everything you're looking for in a faith-based podcast here and more. And if you're returning, infinite thanks, blessings, and love for being a longtime loyal supporter of the show it is because of you that this show is here. 
So today we're going to explore one of my favorite saints, and that is Saint Benedict of Norcia. And uh, unfortunately, little is known about his life, which you would find is odd because I don't think there's a Christian around that doesn't or has not heard the name Saint Benedict before. Uh, so we're going to explore uh, the brief information that we have on his life. We're going to explore a little bit of the rule of Saint Benedict, and we're also going to learn a little more about the medal or shield of Saint Benedict. I'm going to share some information about that medal uh, or shield, however you want to label it, that most people aren't aware of. As always, links to everything that I'm going to be talking about today will be in the show description. So, early life, uh, Norcia. St. Benedict was born in Norcia around 480 AD. And again, you know, as we've talked about many times on the show, record keeping was not a forte back in those days. And those who did keep records, they ended up getting lost or destroyed over the many, many, many years. Since that historical time frame, a mere four years before the Western Roman Empire formally fell, by the deposition of the last emperor, Romulus Augustulus. <laughs> it sounds like there's like a joke in here, isn't there? <laughs> was quite difficult. The only authentic life of St. Benedict is that which is contained in the second book of the Pope St. Gregory. His dialogues probably written between 593 and 594. So a Pope... St. Gregory, is known as the author of the biography of St. Benedict, if that makes any sense. So you've got St. Benedict born in 480, and then you've got uh, Pope St. Gregory born in 593. Did the two ever meet? I don't think so. So it's interesting to see, or hopefully we'll see, how he came about the information that he had to write anything on someone he was not um, physically aware of. After attending primary schools in Norcia, Benedict went to Rome to broaden his knowledge of literature and law. However, since he was probably disgusted by the dissolute lifestyle of peers and by Rome's difficult political situation, he retired to Aphili, with a group of priests taking his old nurse with him as a servant. At Aphili, St. Benedict worked his first miracle, restoring to perfect condition an earthenware wheat sifter, which his manservant had accidentally broken. The notoriety which this miracle brought drove Benedict to withdraw further from social life. He took shelter in a cave in the ruins of Nero's village, near Subiaco, where he began to live as a hermit, immersed in loneliness. His only account, or excuse me, his only contact with the outside world was with a monk called Ramanus, whose monastery was nearby. He gave St. Benedict a monk's habit and provided for his spiritual and material needs. Three solitary years followed. Some shepherds befriended Benedict, they began to follow his teachings and the pastoral and apostolic principles of the Benedictine order took root. 
So that's a lot right there, that, a little bit that needs to be unpacked and shared, okay, or ex, I should say expanded on. So, you know, St. Benedict traveled with his nurse because he was, Benedict was a very, came from a wealthy family, okay? So he's traveling with um, his servant nurse, um, nanny, so to speak. Even though he was an adult, um, this person would still take care of his needs like a valet. Okay. We'll just call him a valet. Uh, so, you know, they were in this place and, uh, the, the valet accidentally broke a, um, a wheat sifter in Benedict knew that if the people that owned the wheat sifter found out that his valet broke it, that they would a demand the money for it to be replaced and or two would kill him so that prompted uh benedict to pray uh over the wheat sifter to um adonai to the divine to god whatever you want to call that which is all um which has no labels uh pray to adonai to to fix this wheat sifter and lo and behold it miraculously repaired and this is something interesting sorry i'm going on a tangent warning i guess i should i should now i'm not going to put a warning sound in there <laughs> i don't want to upset people or disturb the groove but anyway warning i'm going on a tangent but it's connected to this you all know those longtime listeners know how much of a fan i am of the what god is not podcast with uh, father michael o'loughlin and Mother Natalia. Well, Mother Natalia was talking about recently about the importance of us asking Jesus, the divine, Adonai, um, the Messiah, whatever again you want to call that, which is all, the Holy Trinity, on our birthdays for a birthday gift. And she was actually baffled that people don't do this. And Father Michael O'Loughlin said he wasn't aware of this either. So she was like, why do we always pray for life and or death things? You know, um, that which is all, according to the Bible, says that it will provide for us what we need. So if you would like something special for your birthday, of course, it's got to be within reason. It can't be um, a $50 million mansion or something like that, or a sports car. It can't be that, you know, outlandish. It's got to be something practical, okay? Um, she says it happens. And she's she actually gave an example where a friend of hers was talking to her about um, the upcoming birth of his child, and he was expressing to Mother Natalia about this and that it was coming up. And Mother Natalia said, well, it, your, your baby's going to be born on my birthday. And he said, absolutely not. And she goes, oh, yes, it is, because I prayed for to Jesus for this as my birthday gift, and it's going to happen. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> it happened. So I don't know. How do you look at that? Do you look at that as a miracle or do you look at that as a synchronicity or just a coincidence? Anyway, I just wanted to share that because to me, it's the link to Benedict um, praying over the or praying for 
the wheat sifter to be repaired because who would think about that? You know, when your car gets a flat or your car breaks down, do you pray instantly? No, we usually are kicking the car and cursing and <laughs> damning everything and then stressing and worrying and trying to figure out how we're going to cover the cost for the repair or repairs. Um, but try it. Try it sometime. Try praying just off the cuff for an everyday thing and see what happens. Again, not, not something that's life or death or I've got to have this or I've got to have that. Make it one of those things that if you receive it, great. If you don't, then that's cool too. And don't let it diminish your faith if it doesn't come to be. Because I firmly believe that the divine Adonai um, answers our prayers, but in many different ways. And you have to be uh, eyes open, heart open, and awake to, to experience those answered prayers. So again, he prays and it, you know, it's fixed, but the miracle of the wheat sifter repair <laughs> gets out, you know, and just as you, those of you who are Christians know about Jesus, when people started to spread word about miracles, people began to come from all over the place wanting miracles for themselves um, and for their loved ones and friends. And, you know, that was totally not what Benedict was into. And at this time, Benedict was not um, a priest or anything of that nature. Um, he was just an everyday bloke. So, again, it, it gives us more inspiration and encouragement in our prayer in our prayer life that, you know, here's an everyday bloke who prayed for a wheat sifter to be repaired and it, well, it was repaired. So why can't the same thing happen for us? There's no reason why it can't. So what happens is he and his valet leave and go into seclusion. He finds a cave. And as he gets to the cave, and of course, after the valet sets his things down, he tells the valet, take my stuff and go, go home. Um, I'm just going to stay here and I'm just going to do my thing. I don't know what that thing is yet, but I'm going to do it. Um, please just, just go home, take my belongings and go home. So he stayed in the cave. So, you know, here another nearby monk or abbot uh, comes by and, and, you know, and meets him and they start to talk and this abbot, Romanus uh, sees in Benedict what is to come. He sees the future saint in the Benedict that's before him um, and, you know, gives him a monk's habit and starts schooling him and working on his formation um, for his holy orders so he can become a priest and um, become, you know, the origin of the Benedictines. So as this is coming about and he's there for three years, uh, you know, of course, people in the area, farmers that lived in the area were coming by and they were bringing him meals as well. I mean, because you have to wonder, how did he survive How did, on food? You know, what did he do for food? Well, you know, not only the, the amazing abbot of the monastery nearby, but also, you know, the local farmers and stuff would come and bring him um, food and stuff like that and, and water. And, and he would in turn give them, you know, teachings, you know, share the, the gospel, the good news, um, what have you with them and, and help them. So it was, you know, 
every, it was a barter system. Everybody was helping everybody out. They would give him food as donations for, for his services that he would share with them for his preaching. So that's how it all came to start is that, um, you know, these farmers and stuff started to hang around more and become students and disciples of him. So next we move to his founding of monasteries. After resisting a strong temptation against chastity, Benedict prepared to live through a new experience following the example of the ancient fathers of Christian monasticism. At first, the community of Vico Varro wanted him as its abbot, but the failed attempt of a monk to poison him forced Benedict to return to his solitude. Okay, so here's more. <laughs> there's more to this story. These guys uh, from another monastery ran into Benedict and were just over, just blown away by his discipline and um, his um, wisdom and awareness of the scriptures and, and of Adonai. And, and he, they were like, You've, our monastery is a shambles. You know, nobody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, we, we don't have an abbot. We want you to come and be the abbot of our monastery. Bring order to our monastery. Now, those of you who've been longtime listeners know that this was a big issue back in those days, uh, back with convents and monasteries. Um, they were turning, easily turning into uh, just social gathering places where, you know, guys that didn't want to work became monks and women who didn't want to work um, or have families became nuns. Um, and it really had nothing to do with faith. It had nothing to do with Christianity. It had nothing to do with study, practice, prayer. It was just, you know, this was a way for people to get out of life, you know, to just, it was almost like a, a, a resort or a spa where people would go hang out and, and just gather socially and, and frolic about. Well, these guys were like, hey, we need to change this and this guy can do it. So they invited Benedict to come and look at the, their monastery. He came and he looked at it and he says, yeah, I can, I can help you. I'd be more than happy to help you. So this, of course, didn't last long because they believed the same guys that asked Benedict to come to the monastery started to figure out that he was too strict, that this was just too much for them, that this was just, crimping their style. And you know what? They started to miss the parties. They started missing the lax life of we can do whatever we want when we want. You know, this, is, of course, is when uh, Benedict is forming his, his rules uh, for reformation of monasteries and convents. And these guys were like, you know, he's got to go. He's got to go. And they were like, well, how do we ask him to go? And, you know, He's worked miracles and, you know, they were afraid of him. So what do people do when they're afraid of somebody? They attempted to poison him. So they poured him a glass of wine at dinner and he blessed the wine, of course, because he prays over his meals. So he blessed as he's blessing the meal, 
He's blessing the wine. So there are two versions of what took place after the blessing that I'm aware of. Some of you may have heard additional stories, uh, but the two uh, stories I had heard was that, you know, of course, the most famous is as soon as he blessed the wine, the um, goblet or glass or whatever was containing the wine broke and or shattered and thwarted their plan. And of course, he knew the whole time that it was poison because of his divine connection and communion. And the second uh, story or version of the story is that after he blessed it, he drank it and nothing happened, which, you know, completely, you know, took them by surprise because they thought he would have keeled over. But of course, that did not happen. To me, knowing him just as we would have known him in those days, here's this guy that's, you know, very uh, holy, um, very religious that's known to work miracles, why would you try to pull something like that on somebody like that? And then, and then be surprised that he figured it out and that he thwarted their plans. So after this incident occurred um, in Vicovara or Vicovara, um, he went on, he just moved on. He, he went out and returned to his solitude. And he spent some time in solitude, but then, you know, of course, Adonai is calling him to come out. And I'll explain to you, you guys are probably like, why in the world does he keep saying Adonai? Why, what, what, what kind of kick is he on now? I'll, I'll share near, near the end of the show, but please just bear with me. It, it's just Hebrew for God. Okay. So he's communing with Adonai, with, with the divine uh, with God and um, the divine tells Benedict when he's, you know, in his hermitage and seclusion, look, you got to get out. You got to start, you know, making monasteries, create monasteries, create schools. Um, so he got up and he went out and he found, he's created 12 monasteries and assigned 12 monks to each of them. Um, in addition, he founded uh, 13 uh, monasteries for novices and those needing education. So seminaries, you know, like seminary colleges or uh, seminary monasteries and convents. Um, Benedict's fame spread so rapidly, even in Rome, that two illustrious men, Equisius and the nobleman Tertullus, entrusted him with their two sons, Maurus and Placidus. They were to become the first two gems of the benedictine family so a rolling benedict gathers <laughs> no moss he was moving and grooving folks i mean you think about it especially back in those days um you know how do you fund these things how do you come up with the money for these things to do these things i mean yes he was wealthy from a wealthy family but he had renounced all of that wealth so you know, there were benefactors and people that contributed and an infinite thanks, blessings and love to them. Um, all these years later, yes, still thank you, because, you know, today is today because of those of yesterday. So we have to give thanks uh, to those people. Never, ever not give thanks and blessings to your ancestors and those who have come and gone before us. 
During his life, St. Benedict performed many miracles. He found water on a desolate mountaintop to quench the thirst of his monks. He retrieved a bill hook's iron from the bottom of a lake and rejoined its handle. He was a repair guy, wasn't he? <laughs> he uh, prevented a monk from leading a desolate life through intervention. In addition, he made Morris walk on water to save the young Placidus from drowning. That's a story in and of itself that you can look up if you want to do a deep dive is that, um, you know, Placidus went out swimming and started to drown and was screaming and um, for Benedict to come and save him. And Morris was like, you know, are you going to go get him? And Benedict was like, you can go get him. He said, but I can't swim. He said, have faith. You can do it. Go. So as Morris goes to step in the water, he's actually stepping on the water, walks out to Placebus, you know, reaches out his hand. Placebus grabs it and he pulls him up out of the, on top of the water and they walk out together. <laughs> of course, there's more to the story. So please check it out. It's really good. Unfortunately, a priest called Florentius was envious of Benedict's popularity. Isn't that the truth? I mean, Anytime somebody's genuinely doing something good, there's always a snake somewhere ready to strike and often does. He was envious and forced the saint to depart in spite of insistence from his disciples. So I guess this guy was some bigwig and, you know, looked at uh, Benedict and said, get out. I don't care how many monasteries you've got in this area. Get out. Um. And, you know, of course, his students came to his aid, uh, to his defense, uh, to which Benedict was like, you know what, don't don't worry about it. We, you know, we'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll move on and we'll just keep going. And, and this so much reminds me of St. Nectarios. You know, if you guys have not listened to the St. Nectarios episode yet, please, it's just a few episodes back. Go listen to it. Um, if not just an episode ago. Um, it, it's such an amazing story. And again, check out the movie Man of God, which is free on Tubi, the Tubi app, T-U-B-I, um, about the life of St. Nectarios. And this absolutely reminds me of St. Nectarios when you know people are chastising him and slandering him, and cursing him that, you know, he just rolled with it. He just said, okay, no problem. I'll move on. And he moved on, and so many amazing things happened. So after leaving Subiaco, Benedict went towards Casino. In the period between 525 and 529, he founded the Abbey of Monte Casino. It would become the most famous abbey in continental Europe. So think about that, folks. If he would have stayed and, say, fought with this priest in Subiaco, the Abbey of Monte Cassino would never have been. It would have never come into being. And folks, it's still there today. Under Benedict's direction, the old Acropolis sanctuary towering above the declined Roman municipium, excuse me, of Cassinum was turned into a monastery that was much bigger than those built at Subiaco. On the remains of the altar of Apollo, he built a chapel dedicated to St. John the Baptist. 
while the temple of Apollo itself was turned into an oratory for the monks, which was dedicated to St. Martin of Tours. So in Monte Cassino, his monastic life takes root. At Monte Cassino, St. Benedict displayed prodigious activity. He supervised the building of the monastery, established a monastic order, and performed many miracles. He brought back from death a youngster, miraculously supplied the monastery with flour and oil in its time of need, and displayed the gift of prophecy. In autumn of 542, while the goth king Totila was passing through Casino en route to Naples to attack it, he decided to test St. Benedict because he had already heard of his gifts and his charism. As a consequence, Totila sent his squire dressed as a king to greet the monk, but St. Benedict knew, soon unmasked him. When he finally met Totila, he warned him with a dire prediction. You have hurt many, and you continue to do it. Now stop behaving badly. You will enter Rome. You will cross the vast sea. You will reign for nine years. However, in the tenth year, you will die. And that is exactly what happened. St. Benedict showed the same virtue as he cried bitterly when confronted with the vision of the first destruction of his monastery. Notwithstanding, he received from God the grace to save all the monks. So as you can see, there's a lot more to the story. Please check out his bio. Um, I beyond recommend it. It's not a very big read, but it's, it's a very... Um, very great read. It will, it's so encouraging and so inspiring, again, regardless of what your faith is or isn't. But it always gets me. Here was another guy, a king, nonetheless, that thinks he's going to pull one over on, uh, on Benedict, and it just doesn't happen. St. Benedict devoted himself to evangelizing the local population who practiced pagan worship. Shortly before he died, St. Benedict saw the soul of his sister, St. Scholastica, rising to heaven in the form of a dove. This vision happened a few days after their last talk together at the foot of Mont Cassino. In a vision, Benedict saw the soul of Bishop Germanus of Capua, or Capua, taken by angels in a fire globe. These visions for Pope St. Gregory the Great showed a close union between Benedict and God a union so intense that the saint was given the share of an even more magnificent vision, the whole of creation as gathered in a sunbeam. Now, those of you of the nature face out there, I do apologize about the uh, note in there about evangelizing the local populations who practice pagan worship. You know, as we know, there were a lot of atrocities uh, done to people of nature faiths, um, over the centuries and still today. And, you know, I sincerely and deeply apologize as, you know, an independent Celtic Christian um, to all of you for, for all of those um, atrocities. Then, now, and in the future, because sadly, you know, so many people are so closed-minded. But we recently did a show on this. Uh, for those of you who are interested, it was just a few shows ago 
uh, titled, I Was Cursed by a Bishop. So uh, check that out if you haven't already, and that should give you more information uh, on my feelings towards the nature faiths. To me, all the vines lead to the same branch. All the branches lead to the same tree. You know, it's, it's, I mean, who are we to, as, as humans, to try to put Adonai, God, the divine, the all that is, the universe, whatever you want to call that, which can't, has no labels, in a box and label it and say, this is what it is. And anyone that believes differently is blasphemous, heretical, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. And I, I won't go any further. I'll, I'll get right back to the story. I don't want to go on that road or tangent. Again, if you want to know my you know, deepest feelings on this, check out the I Was Cursed by a Bishop episode. In the end, a life so noble was justifiably followed by a much glorified death. According to tradition, St. Benedict died on March 21st, 547. He foresaw his coming death, informing his close and faraway disciples that the end was near. Six days before dying, he had the grave, which he was to share with his deceased sister, St. Scholastica, open. Then completely exhausted, he asked to be taken into his oratory, where, after taking his last communion, he died supported by his monks. So that was the end of that article, folks. Next, we're going to get into a little bit of the rule. And again, there is more to the story. Um, feel free to check it out. I'll see about locating a book um, and putting a link to that in the um, show description. So next one, I want to talk a little bit about the rule. Now, um, of course, um, it, I can't get into all of the details about the rule because it is quite extensive, but I'll give you all uh, an overview of it and a brief history of it. So, and again, if you want to learn more, you're more than welcome to go do a deep dive on it. And again, I'll see about putting a link to uh, the rule of St. Benedict book or books. There's so many of them, but they're all pretty much the same. So the rule, the monastic movement that began in Egypt and Syria in the third century and soon spread to Western Mediterranean, used and produced all sorts of texts. Lives of saints, monastic travelogues, descriptions of monastic institutions, and homilies or talks on spiritual topics. In the 4th century, a new type of text emerged, monastic rules. They laid down the basic organization of a monastic community, provided guidelines for the abbots and other office holders, and explained spiritual principles for the monks. Their authors did not claim to produce original text. They copied from other rules they had come across, enriching and developing a tradition whose aim was not literary, excuse me, literary, literary, there, geez, old Pete, sorry about that, folks, literary distinction, but the provision of a useful handbook for abbots and monks. And again, as we were talking about, and we've talked about in previous shows, uh, with St. Teresa of Avila episode and St. John of the Cross episode, the importance of reform in these monasteries and, and abbeys and con convents, because it was just so out of control. You know, something needed to be done and no one knew what or how to do it. And very few were brave enough to do it. So bless these uh, amazing saints and souls for doing what they did and for coming up with 
literally handbooks on how to uh, operate and manage a monastery. The most successful of these rules is the rule of monasteries. It was written by Benedict of Nursia after 529 and in, is commonly referred to as the rule of St. Benedict. It reflects Benedict's own long experience as a monk and abbot and his study of the older monastic tradition, which he uses extensively, especially an older text called the rule of the master by an anonymous author. The rule of St. Benedict consists of a prologue and 73 chapters. Yeah, that's why, that's why I'm not reading it here all in its entirety on the show. Uh, ranging from a few lines to several passages, they provide teaching about the basic monastic virtues of humility, silence, and obedience, as well as directives for daily living. The rule prescribes times for common prayer, meditative reading, and manual work. It legislates for the details of common living, such as clothing, sleeping arrangements, food and drink, care of the sick, reception of guests, recruitment of new members, journeys away from the monastery, etc. While the rule does not shun minute instruction, it allows the abbot to determine the particulars of common living according to his wise discretion. Those of you who are long-time listeners will know this expression that I will, am going to say. So in essence, the manual gives um, the foundation and the rules, but the abbot has the discretion um, to um, interpret and use these the rule book or the manual um, as they feel fits their monastery and their congregation and their community. Um, I always refer to this as baby bones. They are bones. These are good bones, but they're still pliable. They're still bendable to a certain extent. Yes, they can still break. A baby, that's a bad analogy. A baby's bones can still break, but they are more flexible than adult bones. So that's why I always use that um, analogy for, for something such as this, is though, although, the rules can be amended or um, used at the abbot's discretion. They are still the rules. They are still, it's still a manual. It's, they're still, you know, only so much they can, only so far that they can bend. Pope St. Gregory the Great in 604 praised the rule as remarkable for its discretion and its elegant language. That papal endorsement certainly contributed to its spreading. Benedict wrote his rule in Latin, the autograph copy has been lost. The best manuscript stems from an early 9th century and is found today in St. Gall in Switzerland. Another manuscript is in Oxford's Bodleian Library, though earlier by a century, is less faithful because copyists strove to correct the 6th century Latin. Over the centuries, the rule of St. Benedict has been copied, translated, and published innumerable times, and I might add, still today. Every generation has produced commentaries on the rule in the last hundred years have seen vast amounts of academic study dedicated to it, both religious and non-religious scholars. The rule of St. Benedict remains one of the great classics, excuse me, classics of Christian spirituality. And some may be scratching their heads as to why uh, 
Why is this? Sorry if I've got you guys hear the squeaky chair. <laughs> My butt found it again. So why is this still uh, relevant today? Why is the Benedictine rule or how is the Benedictine rule still relevant to today? Because it is, it transcends monastic life. It's something that can be easily put into, I shouldn't say easily. It's something that can be used and put into practice into your everyday life. Again, if you pick up the rule of St. Benedict or the Benedictine rule, you know, you can be like the abbot. You can go through, study it from cover to cover, and then discern what you want to um, put into practice in your life. It, it's, it's a manual, and it's even although it's a monastic manual, it can easily be adapted to an, uh, a lay manual for people who are non-monastics or those um, you know like me who um, love the monastic ways, uh, but have family and love family and love being married and wouldn't want anything different uh, in this lifetime or any other. But it's a way for those people like me and, and us, if you're listening, you're on the same page, uh, for us to be as close to a monastic, um, or as I used to be in Tibetan Buddhism, a lay monastic, meaning a monastic with a family, um, and, and you know, working a, a job outside of just you know, and not just being you know, a monk. Um, it, you know, the rule gives us those that information. It gives us those steps on how to do. And there's all kinds of books that have taken the rule and adapted it for you, for lay people to use and put into practice. If you're interested in those, come check out the Oblates of Perpetual Light. Perhaps this would be a good spot to insert a quick advertisement or advertisement, <laughs> wherever you're from, uh, for the Oblates. So I'll be right back. Sorry to interrupt the show, folks, but I do have a question for you really quick. Are you looking for something to help you with your faith? Are you searching for your faith? I have just the thing for you. It's called the Oblates of Perpetual Light. This is a group I have just created uh, that I am the director of, that its goal is to help others strengthen and deepen their faith no matter what it is or isn't, and also to help those who are interested in discovering their faith, something that fits them. And it's also a community of people that love and respect everyone, regardless of what their faith is or isn't, what their gender is or isn't, what their marital status is or isn't. There are just four things that go for the Oblates of Perpetual Light that are required. And if you go to the website, you can find those out. It's very easy and it's probably stuff you're already doing already. So for more information on becoming an Oblate, and I have to say one thing real quick is the Oblates of Perpetual Light is a safe place. You are completely safe with the Oblates. No harm will come to you, only love, support, and respect. So the website for the Oblates, please check that out first, is Oblates, P-L, O-B-L-A-T-E-S-P-L dot Wixsite.com forward slash Oblates dash P-L. Or you can contact me 
at oblates.pl at gmail.com. And I'll have links to both of these in the show notes and descriptions. I hope to see you as an oblate very soon. Okay, and we're back. And again, sorry about that, folks, but I want to make sure those who aren't aware of the Oblates of Perpetual Light are receiving that information so they can be a part of it if they want. It's open to literally everyone. Um, you know, check out the website. Information will be at the end of the show. Also, information um, in the show notes, so be sure to check that out as well. But why do I mention the Oblates? Because the Benedictine rule, St. Benedict's, you know, rule is from what the oblates were created from, not necessarily the oblates of perpetual light, but the oblate order, the order of lay monastics, those who are everyday people who are studying as a monastic, practicing as a monastic, although the oblates of perpetual light is not anything that strict. It's very simple, very easy. In fact, if you pray a little every day, you study a little scripture or whatever your holy text is, or self-help books a day and contemplate that, you can be an oblate. Simple as that. Um, but the rule ended up being used to create these oblates. And it's just, it's just such an amazing thing. So let's get into a little bit of what the rule is. Now, these are the vows or some of the vows. In the rule, Benedict tells his monks and nuns that a balance of prayer, work, study, and leisure, which he calls renewal, is their way, that the divine office is their work, and the vows of stability, conversion, and obedience are their commitments. These vows have much to say to those of us not living in a monastery or convent. I like how Benedict points out leisure and calls it renewal. How many of us, I mean, this could be another show and probably should and will. How many of us truly put an emphasis on our leisure, our renewal, our, or as I call rest and recharge? Very few of us do. And those of us who say we're going to take a rest or we're going to do something leisurely, we end up working as we are doing it, such as uh, doing work work, or we're on our phone or tablet or computer, and we're doing everything but unplugging and relaxing. Yeah, we'll have a show on this. <laughs> that, that's prompted a show. Okay, so let's break down those three, stability, conversion, and obedience, um, according to the rule. Okay, so stability refers to the importance of community and commitment in life. For a monk or nun, it refers directly to a commitment to the monastery where they will live for the rest of their life. While we all may not be a member of a monastic order, we can make our vow of stability to our families, to our faith, communities, to our local and global communities, and to our fellow pro, excuse me, pilgrims along the journey of faith. The vow of stability also speaks to our current environmental crisis. For when we remain committed to the earth, we learn how to be good stewards, that which Adonai has given us. Next is conversion. Conversion is not confined to a one-time experience. 
to a monk or nun, conversion of life excuse me, reminds them that everything they do is from, for, and with God, and that God converts us continually. The vow tells the monastic that they are to acknowledge that convert, excuse me, conversion and be open to it. For those of us not in the monastery, conversion is an ongoing process as well, one that helps us walk continually the presence of God in order to open our ears to Adonai's voice and our eyes to Adonai's presence among us. Benedict tells us we must keep our hearts and our minds open to the ways that God is moving us. When we block the transformation that God is working within us, then we are not living into the Benedictine way. An open heart is one that allows balanced practices of prayer, work, study, hospitality, and us within the world. Next is obedience. Obedience comes from the Latin word listen. The practice of attentive listening is foundational to the Benedictine rule of life. Benedict wrote that everyone in the community needed to listen to one another and that sometimes God speaks through the youngest person in the community. Nonetheless, it is the abbot who needs to make the decision in in end, excuse me, and each member of the community must obey him. Obedience can be a heavy word for us today, yet a healthy, balanced view of obedience as a way of cultivating a disciplined, intentional life that is yearning to be obedient to God is a desire that many people in today's world have, and this makes the vow of obedience relevant. Obedience can entail a healthy sense of humility, self-knowledge, and of respecting and following the guides, leaders, teachers, and fellow travelers who are guiding you on your path towards God. So as we see, the stability, conversion, obedience, they're very, very relevant to us today and always, regardless if we're monks, nuns, lay people, it doesn't matter. Whatever shape, size, or box you come in, it pertains to you. So next we'll get into the medal of St. Benedict, which is one of my favorites. And I believe this medal is often mis- understood for its full capacity. Um, and we'll get into that here in a minute. So just some information, the medal of or cross of St. Benedict medals, crosses, rosaries, statues, paintings, and other religious articles have long been used as a means of fostering and expressing our religious devotion to God and the saints. Icons or painted images of Christ and the saints are especially popular among Eastern Christians as an aid to Christian piety and devotion. They're not idols. You don't worship them. You see them and they instill in you that uh, reminder, that encouragement. Um, you know, it helps renew your faith. The use of any religious article is therefore intended as a means of reminding us of God and the stirring up of us a ready willingness and desire to serve God and our neighbor with this understanding, we reject any use of religious articles as if they were mere charms or had some magic power to bring us good luck or better health. Such is not the Christian attitude. So the origin of the Medal of St. Benedict. 
for the early Christians, the cross was a favorite symbol and badge of their faith in Christ. From the writings of St. Gregory the Great, there's that name again, we know that St. Benedict had a deep faith in the cross and worked miracles with the sign of the cross. This faith in and special devotion to the cross was passed on to succeeding generations of Benedictines. Devotion to the cross of Christ also gave rise to striking of medals that bore the image of St. Benedict holding a cross aloft in his right hand and his rule for monasteries in the other hand. Thus, the cross has always been closely associated with the medal of St. Benedict, which is often referred to as the Metal Cross of St. Benedict. In the course of time, other additions were made, such as the Latin petition on the margin of the medal, asking that St. Benedict's presence we may have be strengthened in the hour of death, as we will be explaining later. We do not know just when the first medal of St. Benedict was struck. At some point in history, a series of capital letters was placed around the large figure of the cross on the reverse side of the medal. For a long time, the meaning of these letters was unknown. But in 1647, a manuscript dating to 1415 was found at the Abbey of Metten in Bavaria, giving an explanation of the letters. They are the initial letters of a Latin prayer of exorcism against Satan or darkness, as we've talked about here on the show, as will be explained below. So see, it's not just a medal with, you know, an image of St. Benedict holding a cross and, you know, the rule, but it's also on the flip side of the medal. It's actually very, very powerful. So the Jubilee Medal of Monte Cassino, the, so this finally incorporated on the other side is a newly designed medal struck in 1880 under the supervision of the monks of Monte Cassino, Italy to mark the 1,400th anniversary of the birth of St. Benedict. The design of this medal was produced at St. Martin's Arch Abbey, Baron, Germany, at the request of the prior Monte Cassino, very Reverend Boniface Krug, from, he lived from 1838 to 1909. Prior Boniface was a native of Baltimore and originally a monk of St. Vincent Arch Abbey, Latrobe, Pennsylvania until he was chosen to become prior and latter arch abbot of Monte Cassino. Interesting that someone from the States was actually an arch abbot at Monte Cassino. Very cool. Since that time, the Jubilee Medal, which we're talking about the flip side of the medal now, um, that has the cross on it in the Latin writing or Latin letters. The Jubilee Medal of 1880 has proven to be more popular throughout Christians, the Christian world than any other medal ever struck to honor St. Benedict. So here's a description of the Jubilee Medal. Because the Jubilee Medal of 1880 has all the important features ever associated with the Medal of St. Benedict, the following description of this medal can serve to make clear the nature and intent of any medal of St. Benedict, no matter what shape or design it may legitimately have. So the cross of eternal salvation on the face of the medal is the image of St. Benedict. In his right hand, he holds the cross, the Christian's symbol of salvation. The cross reminds us of the zealous work of evangelizing and civilizing England and Europe, carried out mainly by the Benedictine monks and nuns, especially for the 6th to 9th 
through the 10th, excuse me, centuries. Rule of the raven in St. Benedict's left hand is the rule of monasteries that could well be summed up in the words of the prologue exhorting us to walk in God's ways with the gospel as our guide. On a pedestal to the right of St. Benedict is the poison cup, shattered when he made the sign of the cross over it. On a pedestal to the left is a raven about to carry away a loaf of poisoned bread that a jealous enemy had sent to St. Benedict. The CSPB uh, letters on above the cup in the raven are the Latin words crux patris benedicti. The cross of our Holy Father Benedict is what that means. On the margin of the medal encircling the figure of Benedict are the Latin words es in abito nostro presentia, excuse me, munia mur. May we be strengthened by the presence in the hour of our death. Benedictines have always regarded St. Benedict as a special patron of a happy death. He himself died in the chapel of Monte Cassino while standing with his arms raised up to heaven, supported by the brothers of the monastery shortly after St. Benedict had received Holy Communion. So now we're going to talk about the flip side. It says Monica, Monte Cassino. Below Benedict, we read on, oh, no, sorry, we're still on the Benedict side. Below Benedict, we read, E-X-S-M, Casino, M-D-C-C-C-L-X-X-X, which means from the Holy Monte Casino, 1880. This is the medal struck to the commemorate the 1,400th anniversary of the birth of St. Benedict. Okay, now the other side. The reverse side of the medal, Crux Mihi Lux, on the back of the medal, cross is dominant. On the arms of the cross are the initial letters of a rhythmic Latin prayer. Crux sacra sit mihi lux, nunquam draco sit mihi dux, which means may the holy cross be my light. May the dragon never be my guide. In the angels, or excuse me, angles of the cross, the letters CSPB stand for Crux Sancti Patris Benedicti, the cross of our Holy Father Benedict. Next is peace. Above the cross is the word Pax, which means peace. That has been a Benedictine motto for centuries. Around the margin of the back of the medal, the letters VRSNSMV-SMQLIVB are the initial letters, as mentioned above, of a Latin prayer of exorcism against darkness. Vade retro satana, nunquem suade mihivana, sunt malaque libas, ipsi venina bibas. Be gone, Satan, never tempt me with your vanities. What you offer me is evil. Drink the poison yourself. So how many of you, show of hands, knew that you could use the St. Benedict medal to get rid of the darkness, to get rid of evil, to, I mean, we all knew, or I should say most of us know, that it is a medal of protection, that it will protect you. 
But did you know it can vanquish darkness, that it can rid out darkness? It's used in exorcisms or can be used in exorcisms as well. So here we're going to get into the uses, use of the metal. There is no special way prescribed for carrying or wearing the medal of St. Benedict. It can be worn on a chain around the neck, attached to one's rosary, kept in one's pocket or purse, or placed in one's car or home. The medal is often put into the foundations of houses and buildings, on the walls of barns and sheds, or in one's place of business. The purpose of using the metal in any of the above ways is to call down God's blessing and protection upon us, wherever we are, and upon our homes and possessions, especially through the intercession of St. Benedict. By the con conscious, conscious, excuse me, and devout use of the metal, it becomes, as it were, a constant silent prayer and reminder to us of our dignity as followers of Christ. The medal is a prayer of exorcism against Satan, a prayer for strength in time of temptation, a prayer for peace among ourselves and among the nations of the world, a prayer that the cross of Christ be our light and guide, a prayer of firm rejection of all that is evil, a prayer of petition that we may with Christian courage walk in God's ways with the gospel as our guide, as St. Benedict urges us. So all of those prayers just in that paragraph are encompassed in this one little medal or symbols a profitable spiritual experience can be ours if we put if we but take the time to study the array of inscriptions and representations found on the two sides of the medal the lessons found there can be pondered over and over to bring true peace of mind and heart into our lives as we struggle to overcome the weaknesses of our human nature and realize that our human condition is not perfect, but that with the help of God and intercessions of the saints, our condition can become better. The Medal of St. Benedict can serve as a constant reminder of the need for us to take up our cross daily and follow the true King Christ our Lord and thus learn to share in his heavenly kingdom as St. Benedict urges us in the prologue of his rule. By a rescript of the Sacred Congregation of Religious, the 4th of May, 1965, lay oblates, here we go with the oblates, of St. Benedict are permitted to wear the Medal of St. Benedict instead of a small black cloth scapular formerly worn. By a decree of the Sacred Congregation of Rites on the 6th of March, 1959, the blessing of St. Muir over the sick is permitted to be given with a medal of St. Benedict instead of the true relic of the cross, since the latter is difficult to obtain. Yeah, I don't know how many people have a relic of the true cross just laying around. I know um, Blessed Father Solanus Casey had one uh, that he used for healing all the time, but it's saying here that, you know, according to the laws and rules of the Roman Catholic Church, a St. Benedict medal can be used to heal as well. And of course, with all those prayers and all the things wrapped up into that, that medal um, with the both sides of it, if you truly know the meaning of it, you can use it for healing. Okay, so that is it. There is a quote, yes, I'm doing air quotes, approved blessing of the medal of St. Benedict. And I'm going to use that as our closing um benediction blessing so if any of you have your you know medal and you want to bless it or 
um, have it blessed through, you know, hold it as you're listening to me, uh, you're welcome to do that. Now, yeah, they, they, you know, there's rules and the rules say that a priest or and or deacon have to bless it. But you all know my, those of you who are longtime listeners know my thoughts and views on that. I mean, we've done, uh, we've made our own um, anointing oil and blessed it. We've made our own holy water. We've done our own house blessings. Um, yes, if you belong to a congregation, uh, definitely take your, you know, get you a, a St. Benedict medal and take it to your church and, and have your priest or deacon or someone bless that. Um, that's great if you can have them do that. You know, you might want to contact them ahead of time and, and, and reserve uh, a time or a moment when they can do that and not just, you know, bum rush them and say, bless this, you know. But anyway, I'm going to share um, the prayer for the blessing of the medal as our um, benediction, closing benediction and blessing. And yes, I'll have a link definitely in the show notes and description for anyone that wishes to do it on their own. So anyway, I hope that this has been informative, that you all have enjoyed this brief but interesting study of St. Benedict and all things St. Benedict. It's just amazing uh, how many things are associated with him and, you know, how much we don't know about his life, but yet we have all these things, all the things. <laughs> we have all these things uh, that can help us in our life from um, his manual, the rule, to, you know, the St. Benedict medal. It's just amazing. It's truly amazing. This week's prayer request and updates are as follows. I mentioned Ray at the beginning of the show, or said before the beginning of the show. Uh, so let us please, please, please uh, come together in prayers for Ray and his wife, Stephanie, and their family. Also prayers for Haven, my wife, and um, Ray and Stephanie's sister. Uh, also Bob, Elaine, Lana, Megan, Molly, Gwen, Octavia, Clyde, Mike S., who last I heard is recovering and doing well, uh, other than some issues here and there with medication. Let us please keep him in our heart, thoughts, and prayers. Uh, Kathy, last I heard she was stable, but as we know, Kathy's body is always fighting against her. So please keep her in your heart, thoughts, and prayers. Michael T., uh, Father Mike Cantor has been having a very, very rough couple weeks, um, you know, mentally, physically. So let us please pray for him and Eddie, his husband, Emma, Jean, Doug, Tracy, Ron. Ron goes for his fourth interview for a job this coming week. Let us pray that he gets the job. Let's also pray for my sister, Tanya who's Ron's wife, who's going through so much um, stress, anxiety, um, you name it. Salma, Sister Mercy Augustine, Cheryl, Risa, and Elijah. Elijah um, is now getting offers for jobs, uh, or at least offers for more interviews. And from what I've heard from his husband, Andrew, that there's actually a couple people fighting over him to get him as employed. That is amazing, and what a blessing. So let us please keep those prayers going for them. And if you are in need of prayers, please, please, please do not 
hesitate to contact me. I know our prayer list is getting longer and longer each week. One of our listeners pointed that out to me. And <laughs> yes, believe me, I know. But you know what? That's good. That means more people are reaching out. More people are asking for prayers. I cannot stress enough, folks, the power of prayer. It is nuclear on an infinite level. It really is. And if you put your faith behind it as well, it cannot be stopped. So, again, if you are in need of prayers or someone you know or love is in need of prayers, please let me know. I love to pray, and those who listen to the show love to pray. And I don't care how many we have on the prayer list. It can go infinitely for all I can, I'm concerned. We are here for you. We are prayer warriors, and that is the big part of our service in this life is to pray and heal others. My contact information is coming up here shortly and is at the end of the show and every show. So here is the blessing for the medal, and it says here that it can be blessed legitimately by any priest or deacon, not necessarily a benedicting. Um, the following English form may be used. And nominee, divi, filii, spiritus sancti. Our help is in the name of the Lord. That's what the priest would say, and then everybody would say, who made heaven and earth. And then the priest would say, in the name of God the Father, and then do the sign of the cross, Almighty, who made heaven and earth and the seas and all that is in them. I exercise these metals against the power and attacks of the evil one. May all who use these metals devoutly be blessed with health of soul and body. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Almighty, the Son, of course, you're making the sign of the cross as you're doing this, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, and of the Holy Spirit, again, the sign of the cross, the paraclete, and in the love of the same Lord Jesus Christ, who will come on the last day to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. Amen. Then the priest continues by saying, Let us pray. Almighty God, the boundless source of all good things, we humbly ask that through the intercession of St. Benedict, you pour out your blessings. And again, you make the sign of the cross upon these metals. May those who use them devoutly and earnestly strive to perform good works, be blessed by you with health of soul and body, the grace of our holy life of a holy life and remission of the temporal punishment due to sin. May they also, with the help of your merciful love, resist the temptation of the evil one and strive to exercise true charity and justice toward all, so that one day they may appear sinless and holy in your sight. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. So that, my brothers and sisters, was the blessing. And I almost forgot, to which anybody is probably like, who cares at this point, why I am saying at Adonai, Adonai so much uh, within this show and lately. It's because I've got a, a hankering for the complete Jewish Bible. And those of you who aren't familiar with the complete Jewish Bible, um, it was it's a translation of the Bible by... Um, Jewish slash Hebrew uh, scholar who uh, had taken the Bible and using the Hebrew words, or I should say modern Hebrew, since we 
don't have access to ancient Hebrew anymore, but using modern Hebrew words in the Bible. So when it says God, it doesn't say God. It says Adonai. When it says Jesus, it doesn't say Jesus. It says Yahweh. So to me, that is more authentic. It's closer or probably about as close as you could get to how the real Bible or the first Bible or these uh, books, gospels, um, epistles were written way back in the day. Now, I know a lot of them were in Latin, I mean, Greek and, and um, Roman and all kinds of other things. But again, you know, we mostly know them from, from Jewish, from Hebrew, um, modern Hebrew, not again, there is no ancient Hebrew anymore. So that's why I'm finding myself getting more into the habit of Adonai. Because, you know, as I've been saying divine forever here on the show, um, you know, to me, that that means a lot of things to a lot of people. And it's actually it's honestly up to you. What what label, of course, because you can't put a label on that, which is everything. Uh, you can't label the universe because it is everything. Uh, but, you know, our human minds have to have a little something um, to understand or try to understand it. And of course, you can't understand the divine at all i mean you get you can get little snippets but the human mind can't grasp it you know that's why i always say go from your head to your heart you can understand learn more feel more be more do more from the heart than the head the head gets in the way a lot especially when it comes to ego the i me mind but anyway um to me when i say adonai it just has such a beautiful flow feel it just it just really resonates with me give it a try maybe to resonate with you but there's all kinds of names and labels for god so feel free to choose the one you want or just don't choose any labels so anyway folks that that's an explanation as to why i've been saying adonai so much in this episode and probably will for quite a while so you all enjoy and one more quick thing for those who listen always to the end. Bless you, bless you, bless you. We have a book nook coming up this Wednesday, 12 a.m. Eastern Time. So keep an eye out for that. It's going to be really good, and it's chock full of stuff, as they always are. It's going to be really good, folks. So stay tuned for the book nook coming this Wednesday. I so hope and pray that you all have enjoyed the show and that it has helped you in some way. If it has helped you, please consider making an offering to the show. Offerings are a great way to help support and improve the show. It also helps and supports the Faith and More ministry. If you would like to make an offering, we are accepting them through the Cash app. The show's cash tag is dollar sign Faith and More, or you can find us at Cash dot app forward slash dollar sign faith and more and infinite thanks blessings and love in advance for anything that you can offer don't forget about our youtube channel you can watch videos of weekly ask angel questions bi-weekly sermons and homilies audio of the show the show you're listening to now is uploaded on youtube it's a great place and a fun thing to just watch and hang out on just go to youtube.com forward slash at faith and more podcast. 
I'm always open to questions and suggestions. We have people listening from all over the world. There are amazing beings, past and present, in your country, society, and culture that we do not know about, but we should. Please contact me and share these amazing beings so we can share them with the world. Next is prayers. I love to pray and our listeners love to pray as well. So let us pray for you. There's two ways to do this. The first is to email me at faithandmorepodcast at gmail.com or through the website at faithandmorepodcast.wixsite.com slash my dash site. So until next time, have a blessed week and know that each and every one of you are in my heart and prayers. Bless you.